I'm looking forward to, we, we are uh, jumping into the heart, the meat of this book. And um, w- verse 18 through 320 begins a, an entire section of Romans. And over the next coming weeks, uh, what Paul is going to reveal to us, what Paul is going to expose, what Paul is going to uh, unashamedly announce is the the total depravity and sinfulness of humankind. He's going to, uh, beginning today in verse 18, and we're going to try to get through 32. You see there's a lot of notes on there, so i got to get going here, or other we're going to be here until daylight savings time changes. Um, Paul is going to strip away every inkling of self-righteousness that you might carry with you that you might cling to that you might hold to Paul is going to over the next coming weeks he's going to strip that away whether you're a Gentile or whether you're a Jew and and everybody everybody would fall into one of those two categories Gentiles would have been anybody who was not a Jew not Jewish He's going he's gonna to culminate this whole, this whole thing in Romans 3, as Daniel said, there is none righteous, not even one. Therefore, therefore, every single person is justly due the wrath of God due their sin. Every single person, apart from Christ, sits under the wrath of God due their sin. And that's, that's the point Paul begins making here in Romans 18, in 1.18, is that, and you see it in your main point, that the wrath of God is totally, totally justified due to our sin. In chapter 1.18-32, he's speaking to Gentiles primarily here. Beginning in chapter 2, he's going to make sure that the Jews would have sat back and they'd have cheered him on. Say, oh, absolutely, you go get those Gentiles. Tell them, tell them, Paul. Tell them. In the beginning in chapter 2, he's going to say, oh, by the way, you who, you who condemn the Gentiles, you know what? You do the same exact thing they do. By the way, you're under the wrath of God as well. Just because you're a Jew doesn't mean you get a free pass. Just because you grew up in church doesn't mean you get a free pass. Just because of your ethnicity, you don't get a free pass. Just because you've been exposed to the gospel and you've sat underneath preaching or whatever your whole life doesn't mean you get a free pass. Here, you, God's wrath will pass over you for one reason and one reason only. You believe in Jesus Christ as your substitute. God crucified Jesus Christ that, that he became sin for us as our substitute that whosoever would believe in him would be deemed, credited, Righteous. Why? Because as Paul is saying here, you're unrighteous. And only righteous people come into the presence of God, can dwell in the presence of God. And the whole point here, beginning in verse 18, again, you think, great, for the next three weeks, we're just going to talk about sin. Yes, we are, unashamedly. Why? Because, listen, we will not cherish the gospel rightly if we do not understand our sin rightly. If I, if I forgive you a $5 debt, that's one thing. If I forgive you a $5 million debt, that is a total, that is totally different thing. You can, you can go to Matthew 18, you can see this. We've talked about it in Luke with the parable of the, the, the Pharisee and the, and the unrighteous woman. We've got to understand the, the depth of our sinfulness. We've got to understand that even now, even now, the wrath of God is being revealed against all unrighteousness. And it is totally justified. And that's what Paul is getting across here. Look, look at me in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed... From heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Even now, the wrath of God is being revealed. L- listen to John 3. 
This is the, and, and everything about this, hear me, everything what we're going to say over the next few weeks, everything that Paul says is meant to drive you to the gospel. It is to meant to make you cherish the gospel. It, it is to strip us of every ounce of self-righteousness. Why? So that we will run to the cure. So that we'll cherish the cure. So that we'll share the cure for our unrighteousness with those around us. That is the goal. To, to strip us bare of any ounce of self-righteousness. So that we'll run to the gospel. So we'll cherish the gospel. Listen to John 3.36. Here's the urgency. Again, why was Paul so eager to share the gospel? Why was there a sense of urgency? Even to believers. He's talking to believers here in Romans. But in John, listen to what John writes. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son, you see how he connects obedience and belief? He who does not obey the Son will not see life. Listen, but the wrath of God abides on him. What, what, are, what are we doing in the gospel? What are we doing when we share the gospel? What are we doing when we believe the gospel? We are being rescued out of wrath and transferred into God's kingdom. Even now, there, there is a future component to God's wrath for sure when he will pour out his wrath once and for all upon all who failed to, who did not repent and believe in Jesus. There is coming a day. But even today, listen to me, non, you as a non-believers, they reside under the wrath of God. It is already being revealed. And even you and I, believer, we suffer the consequences and we see that wrath as well. And, and that Paul's saying that, for the wrath of God is revealed. And, and, and here's, here's, I want to, I want to, when we talk about the wrath of God, oftentimes we, we feel like if we're not careful, it seems like God is overreacting. It's almost a characteristic of God that we feel like we need to hide or, or, or be ashamed of in some way. When the Bible is not. God is righteous. Habakkuk says he's too pure to look upon sin. He, he hates sin. He hates it. Psalm 5, 5 says he hates all committed sin. If you don't like the word hate, Paul, the writer of the psalm changes it. And he says he abhors all who does iniquity. Hates, abhors. And his righteousness demands that. But let me give you, you see it in your handout, three reasons uh, just to, to help us calibrate ourselves and why God's wrath seems inconsistent with his character. Because let's be honest, if we, if we said, hey, describe God of the Bible Wrath would not be the first characteristic we would run to. We would love. He's love. God is love. Yeah, he is. First John tells us that. But he's so loving, he's so pure. You know what? He hates sin. And no one gets a pass. And wh why? Why? Why is God's wrath to us, why does it seem inconsistent? Why does it seem like an overreaction? Why does it seem out of place? couple reasons here number one we don't truly grasp god's holiness we do not truly grasp just how set apart god is we really have nothing compare holiness to so we have a hard time grasping that secondly we don't truly grasp our sinfulness so not only do we not grasp how holy god is we don't grasp how totally sinful we are therefore we don't hate sin the way that we should We've de-elevated God in his greatness. We've elevated ourselves so the gap between us and God seems far less than what it really is. Therefore, when we do that, listen, we impugn the gospel. Again, what debt were we forgiven of? Was it a big debt or a little debt? And Paul, in verse 18, he, he immediately, after he talks about not being ashamed of the gospel, that he's eager to preach this gospel, what does he say? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. In light of the gospel, in light of God crucifying his own son, that whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved, be forgiven, 
be, be declared righteous. In light of that, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. If, if you're, some translations don't. If your translation in verse 18 does not begin with the word for, look, look at it. If it doesn't begin with for, if it doesn't begin with because or something like that, write it in. Huge mistake. Because everything that Paul says here is tied directly to the gospel. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, but also to the Gentile. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed for the righteous from faith to faith. For the righteous shall live by faith. And immediately he says, because of that, because of that gospel, because of the greatness of the gospel, the goodness of the gospel, the power of the gospel, because God's righteousness is revealed in the gospel, because God has made a way for you to be gifted a righteousness that is not your own. Why do we need that? Because the wrath of God is being revealed against all ungodliness. And the point, you see it in your handout, sin must be seen as the dominant force and issue in our lives before we will truly cherish the gospel. Are we truly deprived? De- is, is, is man truly deprived? The depravity of man. Are we truly unrighteous? Do we really need rescued or just do we need a little bit of help? Again, Paul, Paul is purposely stripping us of every ounce of self-righteousness here. Why does it need to be the power of God? Because you and I are so unrighteous, we could never accomplish it on our own. That's how sinful we are. Totally unworthy. And again, this word wrath here, don't confuse it with rage or, or anger or a bad temper This wrath is rooted in the character of God. It's the holiness of God responding to sin. I mean, think about it. If somebody came in my house trying to hurt my family, listen, this body was not made for self-defense, but I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to defend my family. And I dare say you would attack my character if I didn't. Why? Because out of love. And you're not going to say, Chris, I think you kind of overreacted that intruder trying to get your kids and kids. You would never say that. God, God has a hate for evil because it is totally opposed to his character. He hates it. He hates, he hates it not only because of that, but what it does to his creation. And it alienates his creation from him. Evil will not be tolerated by God. Do not, again, Paul is making an effort here to to strip us of any ounce of self-righteousness. Why? So that we'll cherish the gospel. So that we'll turn to the gospel. Because if you think, if I think there's self-righteousness in me that I can get there on my own or I'm really not that bad or whatever, you will not cherish the gospel the way that we should. And, and we don't grasp God's holiness. We don't grasp God's sin, our, own, our own sinfulness. Therefore, God's wrath seems out of place. And Paul says, I'm gonna, I want to explain over the next almost three chapters why God's wrath is not out of place, why it is totally justified response to sin. And, and you, you think, well, you say, okay, Chris, the wrath of God is currently being revealed. How? Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked. It's there on your handout. Three ways we see God's wrath. I want us to understand this. Because the gospel, listen to me, even in this, the gospel speaks to every single one of these. As a believer, the gospel gives us present hope and future hope for every single one of these. The, the first way that we see God's wrath is death. Death reveals God's current wrath against sin. People die. Tuesday, 7 o'clock, Helga Hayes' funeral right here. People die. Suffering. Suffering reveals God's wrath. Suffering. You and I are not immune to that. To the effects of it. We have a hope that transcends it, but we're not immune to the effects. Even as believers. Increased sinfulness of creation reveals God's wrath, and we'll see that today. 
We've got to see, even as sharing the gospel, look, we're, we're stopping, potentially God, God is using us to stop someone's sin here before it transgresses and grows to here. There's a, hard, there's a hardness that comes with sin. And the more we stiff-arm God in His grace, the more, we, the more we diminish our sinfulness, there's a hardness that occurs in our own hearts, almost like hardening of our arteries, that it just grows and grows and grows the more that we stiff-arm God's grace, the more that we shun the gospel. And that Paul's saying that's why we urgently need to share the gospel. And the gospel, the beauty is this, it not only rescues us from the future aspect of God's wrath, it rescues us from that present wrath as well. Because think about this, in the gospel we'll see in Romans eight twenty eight, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, not even death. Listen, Tuesday night is a celebration for Helga Hayes. Why? Because of the gospel. What Satan meant to do through death, God conquered death in killing his own son so that all death did was usher Helga into the presence of her Savior. She wins. She wins. The gospel does that. But what about suffering? Paul says in Romans 8.18, the present sufferings are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed in us. Philippians 1.29 says, it has been granted to you not only to suffer for Christ's sake, but also not only to believe in his sake, but to suffer for his sake. Philippians 3.10 says, it is that, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, but also the fellowship of his sufferings. What Satan wants to do through suffering and he means evil, you know what God does? God simply conforms you to his image. Again, the gospel trumps what Satan means for evil. God uses for good to conform us to his image. And he does that through suffering. We see suffering as a totally, a, a, just a bad thing. Listen, there's a sense that it's bad and there's a sense that God is conforming you. He's giving you a, a privilege to know him again. A deeper fellowship with him. But the gospel offers that. But not only that, you talk about this increased sinfulness. We'll see in Romans 6 that the gospel gives you a power to defeat sin. He says, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies that you may obey its lusts. Do not allow sin to be your master. In Romans 8, he's going to say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Again, in the gospel, when we repent and place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, God puts his Spirit in us, and one of the roles of the Spirit is to crush sin in our lives, is to put away sin, to enable us to defeat sin. My flesh will never defeat sin on its own. I mean, I may be good for a little bit, but not consistently. You see how even today, believer, the gospel gives us hope. The gospel shields us from the effects, even today, of God's wrath. And what Paul is saying here is, again, run to the gospel. And he gives us two reasons why the wrath of God is totally, totally justified towards sinners. That, that's the main point here. He is, he is, put, he is stripping everyone of their self-righteousness. He is making sure everyone understands, apart from the gospel, this is the, this is the condition you're in. This is your position before a holy God. And God's wrath towards you is 150% totally justified. And here's why. The first reason, A, on your handout. Because you have willfully suppressed the truth and unrighteousness. Look at what he says, against all men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Verse 19, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so they are without excuse. Listen, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God, nor give thanks, became fut but became futile in their speculation, and their, their, their hearts were darkened. Here's what Paul is saying. Here's why the wrath of God is totally justified. Because you know better. And how do you know better? Because God has made sure you know better. In His grace. 
Even at the end, go to the end of this section. Verse 32. Although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, we'll get to this in a minute, they not only do the same, but they give hearty approval. You know better. God's creation knows better. And, and again, you see it on your handout. Sinners know truth about God and his existence because God graciously made it known to his creation. You say, Chris, how did he do that? Well, the first way he did that, look it on your handout, is inside of all people, they know the truth of God. They know right and wrong. We'll get to this in Romans 2, but if you look at Romans 2, 14 through 15, even Gentiles, he says, for when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law outside are a law to themselves in that they show, listen, the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness. Where did that conscience come from? Where did that sense of guilt come from towards sin? God graciously put it there as a beacon to lead you to Christ. To lead creation to Christ. To sense, this is wrong. I'm guilty. I need a substitute. God has graciously done that inside of us, but also outside of us. Outside of all people, they see the truth of God. And that's what he says in verse 20. Creation testifies. Creation testifies, look, you are people are suppressing the truth trying to look at creation and think, oh, this happened from some amoeba or some blob. Seriously? Seriously? A blob? My question is this, where'd the blob come from? N listen, I'm not the smartest person in the world. You, clearly, I show that every Sunday. But here's what I do know. Something never comes from nothing. Right? Something never comes from nothing. Where did the blob come from? Listen, don't believe the news. Don't believe. Look, almost every scientist and the ones that are honest, they'll say, even the ones that are not being honest, they have this divine idea in them that everything they look at in science proves that there's a creator. They just don't want to acknowledge it. And so they go to the depths of the world to prove. Because listen, if I can get God out of the picture, guess who becomes king? I do. And I want to rule my life. So if I can get God out of the equation, I'm not accountable. I can live however I want to live. There's an agenda, guys. Students, there's an agenda. Testi creation testifies that there is a creator. And God did that in such a way. Go to Psalm 19. The, it testifies. Everything about creation testifies that there's a God. And God graciously did that to draw you to himself. Why? So that you would repent and trust in Christ for your sinfulness and avoid the wrath of God. God has primed the pump. Graciously drawing you to himself. And what do we do? We just suppress the truth. Why? Because we're unrighteous. And we don't want to acknowledge there's a God. And again, you look at verse 21, and, and this blows my mind. Look at this. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. And, and they became futile in their speculation. Think about this. What, what, what gives way to our sin? A simple lack of gratitude. You know what's behind almost all of our sin? A simple lack of of gratitude towards God. You think about this. Think about this for a second. Greed. Where's greed rooted? If you were grateful for what you had, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want more. Think about coveting. If you were grateful for what you had, you wouldn't, be, you wouldn't covet what somebody else has. Think about adultery. If you were grateful for the spouse you had, you wouldn't worry about this other woman out there. Stealing. Lying. We'll get to it in a minute. Think about disobedient to parents. You know where it's rooted? A lack of gratitude. God graciously gave you two people to sit over you kids, to lead you to the Lord, and somehow you think you know better. Listen, I was a kid. I knew better too. Until I became an adult and had two kids and realized I didn't know diddly about diddly. It's like the blind leading the blind here sometimes. But think about it. Gr lack of gratitude. God graciously ordained for a child to be raised up in the nourishment and the admonition of a home 
by two people who have already walked ahead of you, are way ahead of you in life, have already been there, done that, and they are to lead you to the, you know, lead you. And you know what we say? I don't need you. I'm smarter than you. It's a lack of gratitude. And a failure to acknowledge that God is the one behind this. I mean, we'll get to it in a minute. Even sexuality, a lack of gratitude. God made you male. He made you female. He created someone of the opposite sex for you to, for you to enjoy for a purpose. You know what we say? No, 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 no. I think I know better. Instead of being grateful, we go our own way. And then we, then we have the nerve to not call it sin, to try to excuse it. Even in the sexes, God has graciously primed the pump, if you will, to show there's a creator. And you see it on your handout. The source of all sin that rightfully warrants God's wrath is a lack of gratitude towards God for who he is and what he's done. And Paul says, for that reason, because you suppress the truth, that which could be known about God has been made known about it. You know it within you. God, you know better, therefore God's wrath is totally justified. But secondly, not only do they does God's creation suppress the truth, God's present and future wrath towards sinners is totally justified because sinners has willfully exchanged God's truth for lies. Look at verse 23. Starting at verse 22. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Verse 26, for their women exchanged that which was natural with a man for another woman. Exchanged. You can trace this all the way back to the garden. You and I, Adam and Eve, they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Listen, you and I think we, we know better than God. That's a part of the essence of sin as well. We think we know better. We do not want to submit to the wisdom of God. And God says, don't do this. You're like, yeah, I don't think that. Yeah, I know better than that. That don't mean, no, we don't do that. God says, do this. Oh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. We don't need to do all that. God, God gives us stuff, blessings, to draw us to him. You know what we do? We end up worshiping the stuff and forgetting about the, the giver. We're exchanging the truth of God for a lie. And he, Paul is saying all creation is culpable. Because of that, God's wrath is totally justified. Rather than basking in the glory of the creator, rather than giving him all the glory, rather than enjoying it, we begin to worship the stuff. And forget about the giver. You see it on your hand out there. Money, sex, fame, popularity, people's approval, you name it. All are worshipped wrongly in an exchange rooted, rooted in idolatry. You and I, listen, you and I want to be rulers of our own life so badly that we will suppress what is obvious, we will ignore what is obvious, we'll exchange what is obvious, all in an attempt for me to be able to rule my own life. And what, he, what Paul shows here is that sin, sin begins with a life orientation issue. You think about a big circle, and who's in the middle? Is God in the middle, or are you in the middle? Are you the sun, and all the planets rotate around you? Or is God at the center of everything, and everything's rotating around him for his glory? It's a life orientation issue. Because when you're in the center, everything exists for your glory. Therefore, you can justify it. You can try to fool yourself into thinking, well, the ends justify the means, and, and I get this, and I get that. But yes, when God is in the middle, different story. And you see it on your handout. Sin is simply choosing self over God. It's an exchange. And because of this, look what it says. Verse 24, because of this willful, culpable rejection of God, at some point, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the, the creature rather than the creator. 
Again, this is why the gospel is so urgent. This is why Paul was eager to preach the gospel. Because sin hardens us to our own sin. And we become self-deceived. And when we become hardened to our own sin, we think we're not as sinful as we really are. Therefore, we think we don't truly need the gospel. Or we think we're going to live forever. We think we're self-righteous. All these things. And Paul is saying, that is foolish. Because you may be doing this today, but listen to me. Eventually, that's not going to satisfy, and so you're going to take it up a notch. And eventually, that's not going to satisfy, and you're going to take it up a notch. And eventually, that's not going to satisfy. And here's what Paul is saying. I'm, there's an urgency to preach the gospel to sinners so that they, so you nip it off here before it gets down there. That's the urgency. And again, when he says God gave them over here, God's not impelling them to sin. God's simply not restraining them from sin any longer. James 1 makes it very clear. Here's why you sin, because it's a heart issue. James 1, 13. Listen, and again, this is the urgency of the gospel. James 1, 13. Let no one say when he is tempted. And again, this is the deceitfulness of sinfulness. This is how the self-preservation, the self-righteousness of man, that we would blame God for our own sinfulness. Okay? And James says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he does not tempt anyone. Listen, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. And when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death, the wrath of God. That's why we need new hearts. That's why Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36 is so important. That's why the gospel is so needed, because it's, it's not this just do better Become a totally different person. That's the gospel with a new heart. And again, even in James, he goes on to say, every good and perfect gift is from God. God is always just. You see it on your handout. That's the point. He's always just. Even in his wrath towards sin, even in his removing his restraint, he is just. The urgency of the gospel is to stop somebody today before they get down there in their sin. Never mind before they die. The Bible, that's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. You're not promised tomorrow. James gets into that in James 4. Woe to you who say today or tomorrow we'll go here and there and do this and that. You do not know what your day is like. To you are but a vapor, he says. Again, the urgency of the gospel. Oh, I'll deal with that tomorrow. You're not promised tomorrow. And because of their stubbornness, because of their willful rejection, God hardens their heart to their sinfulness, and they just continue on. And listen, these are not accidental consequences. Do not, do not try to get God off the hook here. He is actively involved, and yet men are responsible as well. Men and women are responsible as well for their own sin. He is actively involved. The word there, I looked it up in the Greek, the word there literally has the idea of just pushing a boat out into the water. Hey, you want to go swimming? Knock yourself out. And God is totally just. Why? Because they've already made their choice. You've already made your choice. Don't minimize God's activity here. But don't minimize God's, that man's responsibility either. You cannot blame God. He is allowing sinners to have what they want in their own heart. They have chosen stuff and self over God. Have at it. It's an exchange. It's a suppression of truth. And beginning, again, this is where, this is where uh, I told the elders, come in verse 26, following, we'll weed out this crowd. People don't have fine places to sit. They will next week. Look at verse 26. For this reason, for this reason, what does he mean there? Because they've suppressed the truth and unrighteousness. They've exchanged the truth for a lie. They've exchanged God's order. They've exchanged God's created means for their own means. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts, receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Okay, why, why, is, sex, why is homosexuality... Singled out here. 
because it is a perfect example, a perfect illustration of the exchange and the suppression of truth. He's not picking on it like it's the only sin. But it is a clear example of both of the reasons the wrath of God is due. They suppress the truth and unrighteousness, and they exchange the truth of God for a lie. And it is a clear example. It is an obvious illustration of what he's saying. God creates man. He fashions a woman as the helpmate, designed specifically to complement one another in a way that fulfills God's design. And, and, and what do we do? Exactly what the text says. We suppress the truth. We say that sexuality is just a social construct, that it's an accident, that we can be a boy today and a girl tomorrow. And did, did I, did. Listen, I've heard from some of you. I mean, there are people in businesses today where they have to call people they. That's the world we live in. They. Because they may be a boy today and they may be a boy tomorrow. That's an, that is a, an exchange of the truth for a lie. It is a suppression of truth. That, that does not, listen, and I say that, I say that loving the Lord. Listen, I, I'm not trying to be angry. I'm angry at the effects because we as a church are just sitting by and watching it. We got our hands in our pockets. Sexuality matters. Gender matters. It's designed by God. They're not social constructs. God designed man. He fashioned a woman for that man. Why? To enjoy one another, but more than that, to procreate and fill the earth. Why men, women? To procreate and fill the earth. Not trying to be rude here, but what's one thing homosexuality cannot do? I'm just saying. But you see the exchange? You see the suppression? And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm speaking hard, strongly here on, on purpose because, again, I, the day and time we live in, even in churches, supposed churches, we're balking at this. We're balking at clear truth. Listen, I, I'll, graciously, I'll set the record straight. I believe the Bible clearly states, con, in contrast to what others say, the Bible clearly states that homosexuality is a sin. It is not the only sin. Don't you dare think that. And Paul will deal with that in just a minute. Listen, we don't get our theology from artists. We don't get our theology from your friends. We don't base our theology on what our friends' choices are. We get our theology from this right here. Right here. Okay? Again, go to 1 Corinthians. I mean, I don't know the Bible could be clearer. Do not be deceived, 1 Corinthians 6, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So, listen, homosexuality is not the only sin listed there, so stop acting that way. But it is listed there. It's listed. And I believe Scripture universally condemns it. And I pray that we will be a church that singularly cares about God's glory alone, no matter the cost. That we will care what Scripture says. That we'll do our homework. That, that we'll come to the Bible with a clear lens, not thinking about what this person is, or this person, or this person. What does God say? And every time, we won't go there for the sake of time, but you can go to Matthew 19 through through 11, and they're dealing with divorce. And what does Jesus do? He takes it all the way back to creation. In the beginning, God created them male and female. Go back to the creation. And, and here's where I want to caution us. I would guess that homosexuality is not a sin that the majority of, of us in this room are struggling with. And here's what I know in my own heart. I'm really good at hating sins that I don't struggle with. And I'm really good at being really easy on sins that I do struggle with. Shame on us. Even that's rooted in a lack of gratitude. A suppression of the truth. An exchange of the truth for a lie. Again, it's, that's arrogant. It, that impugns the gospel to think that my sin is not as bad as somebody else's sin? Look, look at verses 29 through 31. There's a whole list of things here. Look. 
being filled with all unrighteousness. Here's some examples of unrighteousness. Wickedness, greed, evil, envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. How about this one? Gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil. How about this one? Same context, he mentions all these others. Disobedient to parents. Do we, do, do, we hate, do we hate our child's disobedience, our children's disobedience to us as much as we hate other people's sin? Without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. Listen, all of those sins and more warrant the wrath of God justifiably. My heterosexual sin... Your heterosexual sin warrants the wrath of God just as much as homosexual sin. And if you stand here today and you're a believer, listen to me. It was grace that saved you, and it is grace that still saves you, not your own, un- not your own righteousness. Hate, here's the point, the application. Listen, church, hate our sin first. Deal strongly with our sin first. Then go deal with other people's sin. Look at verse 32. Although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, listen, but give hearty approval to those who practice them. Paul, Paul says giving approval is, is you're no less guilty. Look, you see it on your handout. Commending sin is no less hated by God than committing sin. And, and, and just at the, for the sake of, you wanna, we'll bring this thing into our own laps real quick. What about pornography? You say you hate these things, but yet we, statistically, pornography is rampant. Hey, you, you, you disapproving it publicly and approving of it privately? What about movies that trivialize sin, that glamorize sin? We're paying for them. You're, su- you're supporting it when you watch it, when you pay for it. What about sitting quiet and saying nothing? Listen, you're supporting it. By proxy, you're supporting it. You're approving of it. I mean, this is where we as a body, I would say this is a, where we as a body ha- of Christ have failed. We pick and choose sins to act strongly against and to hate, and they're almost always the ones that we don't personally struggle with. And you see it in your handout, as God's people, we must hate what God's hate as strongly as God hates it, beginning in our own lives first, no matter the cost. Not picking and choosing, hating sin. And this is why Paul was so passionate about the gospel. All sin, believers, non-believers, is rooted in selfishness, lack of gratitude, suppression of truth, and exchanging truth for lies. We need the gospel too. But as a church, you see it on your handout here, we must as a church balance conviction to speak up regarding sin with compassion to come alongside people who want to fight their sin. Keyword: fight their sin. Not doesn't want me to condone their sin. Fight their sin. Listen, I sin, but I hate it. I hate it. Even, even while we were singing there, I just think, I just think the, the concept, how deep the Father's love for me, how vast beyond all measure, that He would give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. There's a healthy concept to grasping the depth of our sinfulness. Why? Because we will cherish the gospel And you see it there, we've got a bat. We cannot be scared into being quiet with the gospel. We, we have to do it gently, respectfully. But we've got to share the gospel. You see it on your handout. We must balance humility regarding our own sin with boldness to speak up to the sufficiency of the gospel. 
What is needed is the grace of God in the gospel, the power of God displayed in the gospel. Understanding the depth of our own sinfulness first. I mean, you go through just that short list in 29 through 31. Check, 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 check. You know what that does? It causes me to cherish the gospel. Causes me to run to the gospel. It strips me of all self-righteousness. Causes me to cherish the gospel. And you see it there in your handout. We must admit we are totally unworthy before we're ready to place our faith in Christ. Don't back down. Don't be ashamed of what God's word says because of culture. Don't keep our hands in our pockets as we saw. Be eager to share the gospel no matter the cost. Stand firm in the gospel no matter the cost, but do it gently and do it respectfully. Because listen, we do the world around us, we do non-believers no favors when we, when we button up on sin, when we lower the bar on sin. John Piper said this, normalizing wrong behavior and endorsing wrong behavior and dulling the reflexive coil, meaning the hate from wrong behavior, is in the end harmful for persons and destructive to society. Just because every, everyone thinks it is okay, so it seems we are persuaded, doesn't make it right no matter the sin. It doesn't matter if everybody's doing it. We don't take our cues from popularity contests. Oh, the majority says it's not a sin. Well, it's not a sin. No. What does this book say? What does it say? That's the answer. And you and I as believers are called to take a stand for God and his word, no matter the cost, but to do it gently, to do it respectfully. Again, dealing with our own sin first. Dealing with our own sin first. And even verse 20, this is where, real quick, this is where, I'll get you out of here, this is where our selfishness and our suppression of the truth and, and our utter depravity comes in. For since the creation of the world is invisible attributes, eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so they are without excuse. I'm not telling you that I know everything what that verse is saying, but here's where I do know. God is, This passage tells us that God has rendered enough to non-believers. He has made enough available to non-believers to render them without excuse for their sin. And, and listen, I can sit here all day arguing and debating what this verse means and how it applies to people who have never heard the gospel, but there's a bigger issue here. And this is where, again, exchanging and suppressing the truth even comes in our own lives as believers. If we're not careful with this, we begin to question God's righteousness and his justice of, uh, of his wrath towards sin. But here's the deal. Here, even here, again, we try to suppress the truth in exchange. Because turn the finger around. Here's the question. What are you and I doing who have been given the gospel and partakers of the gospel to make sure that that gospel gets to these people who have supposedly never heard? That's the bigger question. Because you and I, listen, we can sit here all day and ignore the uncomfortable truth that God has blessed and equipped and supplied and called his children to take the gospel to non-believers. And many of us here may or may not be doing nothing with that command. Neighbors, co-workers, classmates. That's why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because they are dying, and the wrath of God is going to sit on them for all eternity, and you and I have been given the cure. It's the gospel. And you see it on your handout. We cannot sit here and question God and his goodness when the reality is that the, one of the main reasons people haven't heard the gospel is because we're disobedient and sharing and using our resources to get the gospel to them. This is directly in the context of verse 15. I am eager to preach the gospel, even to believers. And the call of Romans, the call of Romans, especially this section, hear me, is this. Flee the wrath of God for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the call. Flee the wrath of God justifiably do your sin for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the call. That's the clear call. 
And believer, if you're here and you say, I've done that, then live in the wonder and the awe and the overflow of the grace of God and the gospel. Repent of our self-righteousness. Repent of the attitude that our sin is not as, was not as great or as offensive as other people's sin. Cultivate a gratitude for God's grace in our own lives, understanding the depth and depravity of our own sin. Fight sin. Listen, I want us to be a church. Listen, we're not going to condone sin. But if you want to fight your sin, I pray that we'll be a church that fights right beside you. But the key word is fight. Hate it. Hate our sin. And if someone, again, if someone's willing to fight, I pray that we'll be a church that fights with them. And, and the takeaway from today, again, is grasp just how sinful we are. May, may we be stripped of every ounce of self-righteousness to the glory of the gospel. Even as believers, day by day by day, feast on the gospel and the forgiveness of your sin. Day by day. Fight sin. If you're, if you're a believer, live in light of your, the fact that your sin has been forgiven and continues to be forgiven because of the gospel. May we never be complacent with our sin. May we never arrogantly think, because we've been a believer so long, that, oh, you know, we're better than, no. We're, we feast on the gospel every day. Every single day I wake up, I am saved and I am being saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ, by grace, through faith. Every day. And in response to that, you see it lastly, may we battle sin together, inside and outside the church through proclaiming the gospel at all times to all peoples, no matter the cost, because all humanity stands under the justified wrath of God due their sin. May in that sense we battle sin, not only in our own lives, but others. May we be eager, because of the sinfulness of man, to preach the gospel, which is the cure. 